can't walk away from that and not put in effort. It's like, I need to put in more effort into this community and this culture and represent it. Layers, the unintentional culture of snowboarding by Nitro Snowboarders. For our new movie, Layers, we interviewed important people and personalities that contribute to the global community of snowboarding. And since most of these interviews were too long to show in the documentary, and they were so interesting, we created this podcast so you can enjoy them in full length. So strap in and let's go. Let's jump straight into our first episode with legendary snowboarder and co-owner of Forum Snowboards, Jeremy Jones. So you grew up here snowboarding in Salt Lake City. How was it? How was like the community and the scene back in the day when you were starting? I mean, it was small and it was tight, hard to get into, I think. But I mean, it was just, I don't know, how do you describe it? Fresh, I guess. I mean, it was something we were discovering. I'd never seen, I didn't know what a snowboard kind of community looked like or felt like, but I knew about Brighton. That was where I started going. And then you started meeting people. You started meeting people from Sandy. I was in Farmington, which is up north. Called them, you know, the northerners, the southerners, and then everyone in between. And so everyone kind of met there, but it was, you know, five people from here, four people from there, three people from there. And so it was really pretty small, but... Were they all from Utah? Like most of the people at that time? Were at that from... time, yeah, I would say most were from Utah. Yeah, yeah mostly Utah-based. And then, but shortly after it was, you know, snow, snowboarding started to rise and people started to discover it. So you get into like the, you know, Transworld days and the, you know, Peter Lyon and Downing kind of sniffing in here and doing those video mags. And why do you think, why do you think they came? Why did they come here, do you think? I mean, I think think anyone just looking at snow, you know, snow, greatest snow on earth has been Utah's tagline for, I don't know how many years before that, but that was what our claim was and Colorado was close. And so they had similar claims. And so Southern California was where people were. Mm -hmm. It was, I think, just an easy draw, maybe. I don't know, not the Northwest, which is just super wet and heavy and good day here and there, but really kind of a fight. And then you come here and it's empty. No one's here in that day and drive up and buy a $30 lift ticket, $25 lift ticket, mm-hmm. six bucks on quad Wednesday, maybe, you know? Sick. And it was cheap and easy and the best snow and empty, honestly, no one here. So when you started, like when you were, yeah, when you were starting coming up in the scene, were there filmers and photographers here, or did that come later? Uh, they, no, they were here. They were about, it was all about the same time that I started. That was, what, 30 years ago yeah. now? And it was, you know, J.C. Brady, Brady Films. That was Richard Chesky um, and J.C. Brady. That was a local kind of snowboard film, I guess, company. And so that was happening. And then Whitey and Dogger, about the same time. And so there was... I don't know, things starting, yep. but it's just sort of all at the same time, but real isolated and real small groups, and it just was here. I don't know why. And did you guys realize, like, when it was popping off, did you realize how big an effect you guys were having? 
for the rest of the world who was maybe seeing these videos when the Whitey movies came out and the Dogger movies came out. As far as like our contribution to, yeah. to Utah. Or to the whole, like, to the whole snowboard community. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, for sure not. Because we were just doing the thing. We are doing what, I don't know, what we thought we were supposed to do maybe. To yeah. just, I mean, we were just trying to snowboard. Yeah. Snowboard and, oh, you can film. This seems right. We can get paid a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like, free gear. I mean, that was good enough for us. You know, honestly, it's like free gear and someone pointing in a camera at us. That's at least made sense because we we were looking at some videos hard the hungry and the homeless um new kids on the twalk mm -hmm. and like so we had that visual and then all of a sudden those pieces started to be in our scene and it was it was more just like hey this is let's just keep going but i didn't i don't think we knew what we were chasing really mm -hmm. at first but then you took inspiration from new kids on the twalk were you guys trying to like copy, not cop, copy, emulate it? You know what I mean? Like, they, here's this movie that we think is dope. We're watching this all the time. Let's go out and make our own movie for ourselves kind of thing. Um, the movie for ourselves never really happened for us because we didn't, it was always hard. It would be like, you know, Dave Ansel has a VHS recorder. Mm -hmm. Let's get him to cruise with us. You know, we had these like people that were part of it kind of, but never, they weren't really into it. Mm -hmm. So you had, I mean, we would try to film here and there, but we didn't really know. But then once the videos happened, it was, all right, let's get a VX and let's kind of learn this too, because we want to film. We film so much in the street. We're like, let's just start filming this yeah. and then give the footage. And like that was hard because we're now filming digital footage and Dogger didn't even want it. He's like, what is this? Like, you can't use this in a film. You can't use this footage. You know, he hated it. Mm -hmm. Thought it wasn't even real. And like, I mean, so that was, yeah. So no, we didn't really film growing up. That wasn't our, you just snowboarded. it's not like it is now. Yeah. Well, then when you were growing up, were there, were there parks? How did you guys snowboard? How did you learn tricks? How did you? Just built a jump. There were no Nothing, nothing. Nothing. I mean, Park West, Wolf Mountain, Canyons, now I think back to Park City again. That was, they had like a hand dug, I don't know, seven foot pipe or something at one point. That was kind of a park thing. Storm Mountain was maybe a park. You know, that was like a handrail George Johnson was getting on and from Milo here in Salt Lake. And that was inspiration for us. And that in the canyon, that kind of felt like a snowboard park. But Really, it was just us setting it up. And at Brighton, they had nothing. You know, it was like Back we would just shape side hits and go side country, first wind lip, second wind lip, third wind lip, like, yeah. and just slowly progress out. But no parks, nothing. You guys kind of, like, yeah, you would start with nothing, and then now you go there, there's everything. Everything. Do you feel like you guys have paved, paved the way? for this to happen, you know, because like, say, no, 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 I mean, I don't, I've never felt like I've, I've been real responsible for any of that. I mean, I, I'm, I can self reflect and, and like enough nowadays that I can look at the movement that, it, that it all became. Mm -hmm. And I can, I can certainly like start to pull apart, pull it out, the roles that we played, but it was never the intention. Our intention wasn't to 
mine was never to get parks everywhere. That'd be yeah. like SPT more, yeah. you know, like yeah. when they kind of came in and Gunny and them, that's what that thing was, is maybe we could do parks here, but mm -hmm. like X Games, how do we make mm -hmm. this park more consumable? And that was more their world, you know, mm -hmm. but they're following us yep. and what we're doing in the street. So, and then any special event that we get involved with these builders on, then we bring things from the street to a park, mm -hmm. then it becomes a hybrid and more doable in this scenario. Mm -hmm. And so for sure I can look at it now and see the influences that we had, but it was, I mean, not even on the radar yeah. in the day. I mean, even, you know, get to the forum days and these crazy like tr moments of tours that were just so beyond anything you can experience now. Yeah. Like it was surreal, you know, and but do you think that happened, that it was surreal? Probably because um, if you think now like a kid who would go on tour, he would probably know he's mad famous from his Instagram. For sure. Start, right? And you, you guys, you were mad famous in the whole world, but you didn't really know because you didn't know they were selling 200,000 DVDs or VHS tapes. You know, and then you'd go yeah. to Japan and you'd get there and there'd be like, whatever, thousands of people who know who you are. That'd like crying like people, you know, and which was so, like I said, surreal. And, and Utah was such a hot spot, right? At that time, like it all honed in on Salt Lake. And I mean, it was just so vibrant. I don't know how else to explain it. I mean, it was bright and it was like, there was so much hope for snowboarding, it seemed like, and that the fuel that that drove from all, everyone, like every brand I think was benefiting from this energy. And I never saw that, we were just in it. I didn't, it takes now for me to break it down and, you know, people of my age to even come up and say, hey, this, here's what this looked like for me yeah. when we were watching. And then I can, I get that perspective and I can look at it now, take myself out of it and actually watch what I was doing and be like, oh, I can see it. Yeah. I can see why, why that would like had an impact and, and the impact that it did. Still a little wild, but money's different you know the money was different yeah. then it was like you said that mystique and i like being so you could know who jeremy jones was but still miss him uh -huh. walking past him on the street mm -hmm. you just might not even catch it because mm -hmm. you have this you know snowboarding more not so much the face maybe some goofy face shot mm -hmm of you know eating candy or something yep. like yep. that but you see them in person they're shorter they're taller mm -hmm. they're thicker they're thinner mm -hmm. and or they're cooler yep. their attitude is like wait this is a real human mm -hmm. so that element i just don't you can't recreate that energy so that that is a very that's i think what made that time unique mm -hmm. is just the Mystique the dance. distance that you would have from someone watching. Mm -hmm. Now you're just, you're kind of in bed with everyone. Mm -hmm. It's like daily exposure. You're human so quick, even if you've never met someone. Yeah, yeah, totally. Watch a story for five minutes and you're like, this is how makes is. me feel uncomfortable. I'm like, why are you posting? I really don't like being in the bed with you when you wake up, <laughs> Morning, but you're all about it. You know, you, uh -huh. you're, and it's like, that's pretty intimate and you're putting that out to everyone. Like that's just different. Yeah. For sure, that's different. Because yeah, I remember, 
Like for you, I remember when I was growing up, I'd watch Resistance, for example, and there's that shot of you like in the beginning. We're standing there all weird in the suit, kind of in the like, suit, awkward yeah. guy, right? Yeah. And I always just remember just being like, he must be like the funniest guy because this is the most awkward like video shot of all time. Why would they put this in here? It must be so funny. And then I remember I asked you about it like years ago, and it was just like not even there was no plan behind it. They were just filming yeah. you because you stand in the for- corner and they're just making fun of you, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> pretty pretty much. And for me, that was like I was like that. Seeing that shot of you made an impression on how I thought of you. And now, like, with social media, for sure, I'd watch a story and be like, nope, that's how he is, for real. Yeah. And I thought of you being, like, this, that kind of person for, like, 10 years. Yeah. And now... And that, that, yeah, and it's, it's a hard, like, yeah, you can be corrected for right or wrong, I guess, nowadays, like, in an instant. It's like, oh, dude's a dick. Ah, uh, actually, he's not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I just saw this story and... He's apologizing. Yeah, this is cool. Or... This dude's a dick, you know, and you run with that for a decade, yeah. which happens all the time yeah. still. I mean, I get DMs like that quite a lot. Like, man, I thought you were a dick, <laughs> <laughs> but I, actually, I don't think you are anymore. That's pretty sick. Like, well, I might have been a dick that day anyway. Yeah. It could have happened. I guess that, that's a, that is a sick part about social media. You can redeem yourself quicker than before. You can, right? yeah. Or you can also screw yourself screwed more. quicker. Yeah. For sure. How would you compare the community of Salt Lake snowboard scene from when you were in it, right? When it was like you and JP and you guys were in it compared to how it is now, right? Is Today? It as, is it as punk? Is it way more open? Is it, how is it different? Is it easier? I think today is as close to then as it's ever been. I think the, in, as a community, I think it's coming together um, there's an in, you know, the inclusivity, I think that snowboarding and, and how we're opening up in that, in that space is really cool. I think it's dangerous to almost embrace the way we are because we're now, it's like this exclusivity, exclusivity inside this inclusivity that's happening that mm-hmm. makes me a little nervous. Mm-hmm. But time will tell on how we respond and how we nurture that. But I love that we're, we've created the space for everyone and we've welcomed everyone and said snowboarding is for everyone. Mm-hmm. I, do, I do feel we need to take care of it and treat it truly as that if we're going to be that mm-hmm. rather than be like, yeah, we're that, but we're also this crew. So mm-hmm. you can't be a part of us if if you're not this or think this way, mm-hmm. I think uh, you know, that line is more sensitive, I think, than ever, just because we've brought so many things in. Mm-hmm. And so we'll see. Let's see if it lasts. Yeah, but I, I would say it's close to being what it was, where it's a rich, like, community like people are backing each other people want snowboarders to succeed people want snowboarding to succeed i feel like snowboarding is starting to take back snowboarding from like big dollars Mm -hmm. and using big dollars to support Mm -hmm. as we need but i think snowboarders are becoming stronger i mean it's our generations that are in positions now running these brands and so if snowboarders are starting to take it over again, if we let 
that big money kind of control us, we have no one to blame except ourselves at this point because we know better. Mm-hmm. Like, I know better. I'm 46 years old. If I'm going to be in snowboarding and, and participate in it at a business level, then it's my responsibility to, like, use that money the way that they're using us, mm-hmm. not in a malicious way, but in a positive way, mm-hmm. and just say, okay, you're going to be here for the time that you're going to be here. Mm-hmm. Start to identify who's going to stick around and who's in it for the dollar and treat it as such, you know, and be like, but we're snowboarders, so I'm not going to bend for your dollar, but here's how I want to use yours, you know, and how you can be a part of it and we can be authentic about this. Mm-hmm. Like, it is a fine line, I think, and it takes that thought to kind of make those moves, but totally. snow, snowboarders are in a... I see snowboarders in a very powerful situation right now. Like, we can take it back if we haven't already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's true. I think it's true. I mean, I think it's also, that's real for you to say that is because you are a snowboarder. Like, you started snowboarding just for snowboarding. Yeah. Right? Not yeah. to capitalize on anything. No. But because you love it and you get up and do it every day. You just have, like, commitment and passion more than most. Right, there are snowboarders who just snowboard like sledding. Yeah, you know what I mean, there's just the thing I'm, to I'm do. I'm going snowboarding on Saturday, yeah, two fair. times a year. Please keep doing that too, because yeah. that's money for us, right? Exactly. That's like that feeds our industry and our community yeah. for those that are in it for life, yeah. as lifers, you know. What about how do you see, like you're saying, as snowboarders, we need to take care of it, like a store like Milo, for example. How important it has a store like that been or a place like that been for you and for the community of snowboarding in Salt Lake? Yeah, I mean, that's, for me, it's huge. I mean, Milo essentially gave me a huge springboard. You know, it, it gave me a, a network and, yeah, like a springboard, something to visualize support and what it looked like. And they, they nurture the community. They nurture... You know, young kids come through there, start working there, they level up, there may be a manager, and then they go off to these brands. And like, I've seen that cycle through Milo Sport, and that's so important because that's the community and that's the, the rich history that snowboarding now has is because is of shops like that. And so they're very important. You know, I think that, and I think that sort of mom and pop style mm-hmm. is super important I, I see it the same way like for me it was, it, you store like that always gives or it gives like this like quick like snapshot of the culture past current and maybe future state of it for someone who's just like oh i'm in salt lake city i'm gonna go snowboarding at the canyons well, what's this cool story you walk in there and you're like whoa this is snowboarding and skateboarding yeah and the people who are in there you get this like authentic view instead of going to Throw them on, like an REI. You go, yeah. to the, you go to the side section. There's a guy who's a nice guy who sells a snowboard, but he's not, like, he's not snowboarding. If that makes sense. Yeah. Well, even that new like Evo shop. Yeah. And for for right or wrong, like I see the I see the the good that that does yep. for for snowboard brands. Yeah. Even you know for snowboarder sure. owned brands. Even like yep. I can see the the thing there, but they show up here. You walk in, it's like pimp floors they got this dope little skate park they've got everything set up all proper you walk in milo and it's like you know this carpet's literally 40 years old yeah the history that's in that carpet you can actually feel when you step on it 
you look up in the rafters and it's dust from probably 15 years ago and yeah. it's dusting up a an old forum snowboard or an old nitro pyro yeah. you know and it's like do that snowboarding like i can feel the history here i can like this feels like i'm a snowboarder when i walk in here yeah. or a skateboarder yeah. and you know you walk in I mean, I'm not going to feel much like a, I'm going to feel like a shopper when I walk into Evo. I mean, yeah. straight up. Yeah. I'm like, I walk in to check out the skate park and yeah. it's like, all right, which, which Zoomies kid is going to sell me this board now? Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's my vibe, yeah. you know? Totally. And, and again, Zoomies is like a contributor to the sport. Totally. They've done a ton of good things. And totally. you can argue a core, a core component to that whole thing. But yeah. I don't know, a little bit off on, on the ramp, it like that. I don't know. You can feel it in the carpet. Like I don't want. I don't want Milo redone. Yeah. You know. Because of the history. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's it's just different levels of the whole pie. You know what I mean? And like a Milo is like like a core foundation for the history of it and the future and the current state of it. And then there will be the different shops that come surround themselves around the community yeah that way so it's like there's nothing wrong with those other stores it's just completely different and they're talking to a different audience in a yeah way, right? and they have their place and they and it ultimately brings us all you know the budget that we're going to need eventually mm -hmm. to do the things we want to do mm -hmm. but i don't know i don't want to get lost in again i feel like we went through a phase of just blowing being it out blowing it out you know and now we have an opportunity, I feel like. I feel like snowboarders have the opportunity. It's like in our hands, kind of. If not totally, will be soon. Did you ever take influence from European snowboarders back in the day? For it's sure. It's okay to say no. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean like, yeah, I mean just, just to like scratch the ticket, you have Terrier, yeah. that, I mean, that dude was insane. Dude, like, just, I would just watch that dude and just trip, you know? videos? You'd watch videos. Oh, yeah. So, so like, that's a heavy, like, European influence and mm -hmm. one of my biggest, you know? And Ingmar was a huge influence. He came Meltdown Projects to Brighton and started hitting Hospital hump, Jump that me and Murphy built. And we're just, like, geeking out on the dude's high backs and what his forward lean is and asking him all these questions and we don't even really know who he is but this is some weird little european kid that showed up he came to salt lake he came to salt lake rolled up with dogger meltdown project year they literally rolled up to the bottom of millie and there's hollywood cliff yeah. and then hospital yeah. in just into that mogul run all slushed out we had built a big wedge there and he has a backside seven off it from in one of the transworld video mags and they started filming Meltdown that year. He rolled up, Dogger rolled up in like some four by four sedan. What was that car? You know what I mean? It was like yeah, a, yeah. and then just these two sleds that you could barely even go up a groomed run on. <laughs> you know, and they're just lapping. Uh, it was Gooch and Ingmar and, you know, we had got wind of Ingmar, but to see him there and the way that he rode and I mean, that was, so I would say riders were heavy, yeah. you know, that was where our influence came from. Ingmar's method, that was huge on Blunt, you know, that was like, that was huge. The garden was huge for, for Terrier and... What about uh, 
Japanese writers back in that time. Were there any? No, no, not so much. I mean, that would have been Rodeo Raya. Rodeo Raya. Yeah, that was kind of the first. First me too. And that would have been like forum days. Yeah. Rodeo Raya. Yeah, Rodeo Raya. He did the best Rodeo. <laughs> he did. Oh my God. So good. No, I just, it's just interesting because like, I was talking to this kid, young kid, Hunter, yesterday. Yeah, yeah. I was talking to Hunter and I was talking to him about like, who's like favorite snowboarders are at the moment. And he was literally saying like, kind of like up and coming Japanese and South Korean kids. And to me, that was like kind of crazy. If you're like from here, Salt Lake City, there's like so many pros. You got like, whatever, you have the coolest guys right here. And he was like, yeah, I like, uh, I like uh, Yuto Yamada. He's like mm -hmm. my favorite. I'm just like, what? Yuto Yamada? He's like this up and coming kid who like I barely know about. Yeah. And he knows him and follows him through Instagram. And like with Instagram, Yuto Yamada from Japan has like a fan in Salt Lake City where there's like every snowboard pro is here currently. But it's just interesting to like hear like because of social media now kids can like become fans of people further away mm -hmm. than probably before. Because there's also yeah. not this like, uh, um, what would it be? There's not like a, a gateway to get into the exposure through the video. There's no international too. barrier anymore. Yeah. Yeah, you can chirp at whoever and see whoever. So I was just wondering when you were growing up, like if it was, you still, but yeah, Terry, would it be through the magazines and the videos? Yeah. I mean, you see the mags and the videos and then that's, that's kind of how you pick your people. Yeah. And now that's cool. You can have like, your inspirations can be people at your level, you know, moving yes. with you or even yes. under you. Like, yeah. you know, you're better than this person, but they are pushing, but they're pushing you and you yeah. like, you can become a fan because they motivate you. I think that's pretty cool. And that's cool. I think looking, looking to a Japanese writer as like your inspiration and your favorite or whoever, yeah. you know, from this kind of hub of, yeah. of history and legacy of snowboarding, I think is, is pretty unique and good, you know, gives them props. Like as a snowboarding culture, Japan specifically has always been super supportive. They've been such fans of I don't I mean, what would you call it? White people snowboarding because yeah. Europeans or Americans or Canadians, yeah. they were usually white. Yeah. yeah. So, and they were huge supporters of it. Like some, the biggest, the biggest, the biggest fan, fanboy country you could think of was uh -huh. Japan. And now we get a fan out on them and like those roles have turned. I mean, the Olympics was a perfect display of that. Like yeah. that half pipe was straight up dominated by Japanese snowboarders. Oh yeah. Like dominated yeah. Yeah. by far. Yeah. And it was so cool to watch. So to have that flip is pretty, pretty crazy. Yeah, where do you see sitting here in a gym, where do you see snowboarding headed to in the moment? Man, I just kind of back to the thing. I think it's a hard answer. I think what I would like to see, to what I just talked about earlier, snowboarders just taking it back and, and giving back. And, you know, like I look at yourself, you're many things, but a team manager is one of them. Mm -hmm. And as a team manager and as a pro snowboarder from the past, you have a different scope of what this takes. And so now you can teach that and you can educate the snowboarder coming up 
and you can show them this path of, you know, here's a couple things you can do with these checks you're getting, mm -hmm. just so you don't blow it. Mm -hmm. Here's, be realistic. Here's how long you're probably going to get these checks. Mm -hmm. I'd love to pay you as long as it goes, mm -hmm. but this is usually what it looks like. It's up to you how you, you just pointing, giving them these bits of information, I think I would like to see it go that way. I'd like to see us use the things that we've learned as snowboarders and in this industry to be able to educate future. the future and, and allow them that space to succeed, you know, truly succeed in these five, 10, 15 year run that they're going to have, you know, if yeah. it's five years of okay money, let's like take advantage of that, yeah. you know, and care about snowboarding. I don't know, find your perspective. Yeah. That's like gonna take you out of it the best way, whether it's completely leaving yeah. or whether it's rolling into another component, you know, whether you're gonna be a team manager or brand marketer or marketing manager yeah. or photographer, filmer, editor, whatever it is in snowboarding, like be here because you want to be here and then stay here because you want to stay here. Mm -hmm. That's what we need. That's, yeah, and I 100% agree with that. And I feel like it's going that way. I think so too. It yeah. seems that way. I think it's also because the, the sport is a, like, it's growing and we're at that stage of yeah. 30 years, 40 years, so the people True. are, can stay into it. And, they, and parents want to like show, they want to teach their kids. They want to show their kids now. And that's like, We've never really been in that spot. You know, we have, like Seth was just telling me, Hewitt, he's, you know, Volcom. Yeah. And he's just telling me yesterday, he's like, yeah, I'm, I've got, what's her name? P Juliet Pelchat, yeah. you know, JF's daughter. And then you have Estelle Pensiero, um, another <laughs> JP's daughter. Dude, we have. Uh... And you have like all this, all these pros. And I don't know, we're like, now we're taking care of, our friends, kids mm -hmm. as athletes, mm -hmm. that's like, we've never been there. Yeah. We've never been there. Like, that's insane. Yeah, and dope. like, what an opportunity, I think. I mean, an opportunity to blow yep. as much as it is an opportunity to like, grow. glow and grow. Throughout your career in time snowboarding, have you ever seen snowboarding, do you see it as a solo sport or a team sport or not a sport at all? Yeah, I don't know. I don't really get into the sport debate because I'm not sure in all technicality what even a sport is. I mean, snowboarding's a sport. I don't really care if you call it that or not, but team, no. I would say it's not a team sport. Yeah. I would say it's a maybe a group activity <laughs> and you can have like a dope group and that's what a team essentially is. You bring these people together from different spaces and they can act as a team in these environments. And ideally you've constructed that really well that that can thrive and they can come together and sort of perform as a team when needed. Yep. But no, it's, I think it's very individual um, in your expression, not in the way you get here. I think we have a shirt here out of the gym that that Paul came up with and it says none, you're not self-made. No one's self-made. Yep. And it's... Same with a snowboarder, no snowboarders. No one, and we all claim it, we all wanna be like, I did this, I came out, I did, I showed up, I, you know, and it's like, yeah, you did, you did the work. But like, why? Yeah. 
you did the work for, guarantee you have an answer. Yeah. For myself, yeah. I taught me, I did me. Yeah. It's like, no, dude, like, you did the work for this person that gave you the first snowboard. Yeah. Out of respect, you're like, dude, I fell in love with this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it this. Then maybe that burns out. And then you're doing it for whatever. Like, I mean, at some point, I was just doing it to pay the bills, yeah. you know? Not, it felt like that. It's like, that's why I'm doing this today. Yeah. It's like, I'm, I need to pay the fucking bills. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where I'm at. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, just, but being real with that, like, why are we here? Why are we doing it? And, but like I said, I think the power and the strength and the opportunity to blow and just really grab hold of is us as snowboarders that are sitting where we're at in this age demographic, like you're 35 to 45 and you're still in snowboarding, take a good look at it because opportunities ours yeah. to, to just really take back snowboarding, you know, and remember why skiing's where it's at right now because of snowboarding. Mm -hmm. Like we built skiers mm -hmm. to what they are now. They gave us an opportunity to like slide in and recreate and redesign what you can do on snow. And then they, but they started taking it back. You know, let's, let's bring it back. Snowboarders. Do you think you are where you are now and you became the snowboarder you became because you were from this area at the time it happened? You know what I mean? Because of the opportunities from the stores, the, the people at the hill who allowed you to go up with the snowboard, who didn't yell at you when you're shoveling? Yeah, I mean, the, the only honest answer to that is absolutely. I mean, I, I can, you could argue I did nothing except show up and, and put the show on because there was a car full of people doing it with me, yeah. you know, and I became accountable. I became accountable to show up for this jump session. If I talked about the jump, hey, let's go hit this on Friday. Like I already put that in, like I seeded that. Yeah. And so the crew is building off of that energy all week. And now if I just bail, like now I've created the, my accountability in that situation. And so it was, it was totally that. It was like, of course I did the thing. Yeah. Of course I sent myself off of the jump, but got to the top with everyone else. Like we built it, we shoveled, I hiked with somebody. I took every step, you know, but it wasn't without the support or the voice of this person next to me or in my head yeah. or whatever the reason. And so 100%, like because of what I had access to, because of the people that were around me, I mean, snowboarding to me from the get-go was for friends. It took me until I think this season that I learned that I'll go snowboard and try stuff by myself. That took, that was this season. JP was always really good at it. He was, he could always skate alone. He could snowboard alone and like try tricks. Yeah. I needed my crew, you know? So in that respect, back to your question, like there's no way I would have done it. There's no way I'm self-made because I can't do it. I wouldn't have done it by myself. Yeah. I needed like my squad and the crew and I needed the people telling me that I couldn't. You know, I needed that sort of like, no, and that constant, dude, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Like I needed that to be able to do it too. And so 
I needed all those triggers. I'm not one bit self-made. I, I just took the steps. Did you ever consider snowboarding? I kind of answered this, but I'll ask again. Is it, a, is it a sport, a culture, or a community, or an individual obsession? It's a, I mean, a culture and a community, I think, to me, before anything. I think those are the things to nurture. I think the obsession gets you in the door. Mm -hmm. So a very important component. I mean, it's rare that I, that I see just some individually obsessed snowboarder that completely keeps to themselves and has no crew and has, and they're just on this solo ride. I don't think I know. I mean, I know people close to that, yeah. but they've also- Still in your crew. They've like tr built themselves to get there. Mm -hmm. They never came in that way. Mm -hmm. Like they're just like weeding down their crew. It's almost like they're designing this path to be that. But I don't know anyone with experience and years under them that has been a solo show the whole time. So I'm going with community and then culture second because that's what, that's what the community builds. They build the culture and then they start to represent the culture. And back to that, I think we're in a position now, you know, from a generational perspective in the industry that now it's time to represent our culture that we've built. Mm -hmm. And so I think by representing that right, snowboarding will be more defined. I don't know, can you imagine taking over the Olympic Committee with a snowboarder's voice, a real snowboarder's voice? I mean, and that, that becomes the controlling component in that orchestration. Even if like, the funda uh, like how that operates never changes, can you imagine a snowboarder being at the helm of that? Like yeah. that can happen soon. It better and happen. It, yeah, and if yeah. that happened, like... Game changer. I mean, game changer. Like still bureaucracies, like you got to navigate all that. That person has to be down for the culture and down for snowboarding and down for that fight because it would be that but we're we're at a place that like we can be that you know tony hawk kind of gets in there on the skate side of things mm -hmm. you look at that as a a good representation like still frustrated i i mean as all get up i'm sure in the end of how it was represented and all the things they had to jump through but the effort was there you know he poked his head in and he stood up and said i'll I'll be a voice for this and, mm -hmm. and take some bats to the head, you know, for the, for the sake of it, to keep skateboarding. That's what snowboarding needs. Yeah. Like for that next step for the Olympics, for sure. Because now it's, we don't have that. That representation of snowboarding in, in like the competitive world is basically the coaches, right? Who have... Pretty much. They have, they have the right intentions. Yeah. But they also can't, they, this is their world, the competitive world, right? They, their, their world is points and numbers. Yeah. And no one's paying, no one cares what the coaches are thinking, no. really. No. We should. We should. They have feet on the ground, they're seeing it all, they're hearing the voice of the riders from that competitive mm -hmm. level. Mm -hmm. They know they're going to be the ones to feed back a, a course or a jump at any sort of realness yep. with no BS, you know? Yep. They're like... So yeah, if that voice was heard louder and I mean, I don't know, there's so many ways I think you can move in and sure. I don't have the answer. Oh, I can just see done. that. Yeah. He doesn't have the answer, guys. We got to go. He doesn't have the answer. But I, lo I love seeing that like the things are in play. 
you know, and the snowboarders are at the top again and it's it. and smart. Like we've, you know, people have got education. They know how to like do things. Yep. They can run a business. They can start a business. They can be sell a business. Mm-hmm. Did you ever think when you started snowboarding that snowboarding would be this big when you were first making your videos? I for sure never. I mean, I just didn't think. I wasn't like, I never thought about... The future of this Yeah, like what's this going to be one day? Is this going to be huge? Like I definitely, now I do because it's, I feel like I want to protect it. You know, like, I mean, to be totally honest, dude, for right or wrong. I mean, I've never said this, but like... I can't do anything else, dude. Mm-hmm. As much as I would want to, to just go make a million dollars at some nine to five or be some entrepreneur on some NFT thing and find this lane to make billions, mm-hmm. I just can't do it, dude. Like snowboarding's given me so much and the role that I've played in snowboarding that I now take a look at from people's stories that come my way of, you know, around my same age, 40-year-old people that are 40-plus, 50-year-olds that, that I've had influence on. I'm just like... Can't leave them hanging. Dude, I can't leave them hanging. And, like, as, as much as that responsibility, I, I can see that I don't need to put that on myself. I understand that. But I just can't. I can't not walk... I can't walk away from that and not put in effort it's like I need to put in more effort into this community and this culture and represent it until I'm rejected, essentially. Like until yeah. they say they don't want to hear my voice anymore yeah. or hear what I have or like consume what I'm putting out, then I, I'll, I'll leave, I guess. But I don't feel that. I feel like the community of snowboarding in, embraces me as long as I present myself appropriately. And so I'm just going to keep kind of giving it. Thank you all for listening. See you in the next episode. And in the meantime, do yourself a favor. Go snowboarding.